Hey Daniel, how's it going, man? Yeah, not 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 too bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. for those of you who don't know, this is the first episode of the GBD Ang Movie Podcast. Of course, like I said before, my name is Aiden. I run the movie review page on Instagram, GBD Reviews, and you are. Uh, so I'm Daniel. I run the youtube channel reviewing and uh i watched too many movies so i had to talk about them with somebody else (laughs) yeah i'm kind of in the same boat it's driving my family nuts i won't shout about it especially my little brother so this is a good way to do it yeah all right so let's get right into it then what are we going to be talking about today Alright, so the movie that we're going to be talking about today is the recently released 2020 movie Mank, directed by David Fincher and written by his father, Jack Fincher. Yeah, I think it was a kind of a bit of a, almost like a passion project because Jack Fincher is, of course, David Fincher's father and he could not get the film out before he unfortunately passed away. So it is kind of like David Fincher continuing on his father's legacy in the movie business. So yeah, uh, but before we get into that, uh, I have a question. I have a trivia, quick trivia question for you. All right, let's hear it. All right, uh, who was the writer of the 1992 Rob Reiner movie A Few Good Men? Ooh, that's Aaron Sorkin. That's his first movie. I know that. Yeah, Solid. yeah, that is correct. Okay, now I got one for you. You probably yeah. know this because it lives in movie infamy. So, who won the 2005 Best Picture award at the Academy Awards? Oh wait. Okay. No. To be honest, I I was I was thinking about this. Like you put up the question quickly, and I was thinking about it. I I just remembered it's Crash, right? Yeah. Yeah. That it is Crash. Obviously, generated a lot of controversy because it ended up winning over the heavily favored Brokeback Mountain, and yeah, a lot of people were not happy about. Were a lot of people were not happy about that. So. Yeah. In yeah. retrospect, most people do not like that choice. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I personally, when I th- I the. The motion that I resonated me most when I watched Crash was uh, comedy, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> when I first watched it, I was, yeah, I might be doing a video on that as well. Yeah. Well, if you are, let me know. I would be definitely interested to see that because it is very, it's overly melodramatic and too superficial to honestly win any major awards. It can be nominated, but to win is just, yeah, it's not worth it. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Now we have some movies news. Isn't that correct? That is correct. So, uh, and I just wanted your thoughts on. So, Warner Brothers has announced that for their 2021 release uh, calendar, which includes movies like Dune, Judas and the Black Messiah, and In the Heights, uh, that they will be doing a hybrid release method using HBO Max, uh, which is currently only America, and through theaters on the same day. So, the way it will work is that it will run in theaters as long as it's able to, but it will only be on HBO Max for one month. Hmm. Uh, I think the way that theaters will try to, will hopefully get some compensation from studios, as in they'll be taking less of a cut from the movie since they'll be getting money through uh, the streaming service. I I just wanted, what what do you think of that, Ian? Honestly, I think that's a good way to handle it. You know, I think it's the only way you can really handle it. Because if you're not releasing a movie for as long and the studio is going to still take the same amount of cut that they normally do, then these chains are not going to survive. And some a lot of these chains have been around for ages, like the Cineplex chain. There's one near my mom's house on the Queensway in Toronto. And then, like, they're all over the place. Like, I can't imagine a world without Cineplex. It's where I always go to watch movies. So I think it's a responsible thing to do, to be honest. But... 
I think you mentioned this. We were talking about this, like, in a cut of this that we messed up. And you were saying that uh, yeah. HBO Max is not in Canada yet. It is not, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of disappointing because, I mean, for those of you who, like, don't want to go out and, like, and uh, risk getting uh, the virus, then I think that would be another option, but we don't have it for some reason, so... Yeah, it's kind yeah, of they're gonna have to they're gonna have to change that. I yeah, hope, I hope they change that. I hope they make HBO Max available to those who don't want to go to theaters. And hopefully, theaters are open by the time most of the important movies I want to see. Personally, I'm most excited for Dune because that's directed by Denis Villeneuve, who we discussed to kind of be probably the greatest Canadian director. And I I think he is the best Canadian. Yeah, director he's time. definitely he's surpassed James Cameron so probably because James Cameron has not released a movie since you know Avatar, of course. So I mean, like, yeah, he's kind of I mean, uh, he he's planning to do Avatar for the rest of his life. Yeah, that's he's, he's got always got Avatar two to five planned apparently. Yeah, there is one thing I will say about those movies, although like they're kind of superficial, like the visual effects are still amazing, and the fact that. For the sequel, they've they had to invent new technology. I think that's pretty groundbreaking, and you know I gotta give props for that. But yeah, yeah, I feel like James Cameron is more like an inventor than a director <laughs> in the way because yeah. like all of his movies usually just have the goal of just like creating, just pushing movie technology, which is of course good. But I feel like that often leads to him not focusing on story as much. Yeah. Unfortunately, but Especially I think the only exception like Avatar. recently I can remember, like, I did really like, uh, what's it called, uh, you know, Terminator 2. That had a really good story, and it also had good visual effects, yeah. but then you have something like True Lies, where the story is like, it's okay, but it's, the main goal is to just wow you with the visual effects, so, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, in other news, so Mads Milkinson has been officially announced as the replacement for Johnny Depp in the role of Grindenwald in the Fantastic Beast movies. Yep. Uh, we discussed this earlier. We both haven't watched them too much, but we both like Harry Potter overall. I did watch the first one. Yeah. I was just wondering, what do you think of this? I mean, as as replacements go, like I said this to you earlier, like Mads Milkison, he's a fantastic actor, and I think this is a as good a choice as you can given the circumstances. Having said that, though, and I know Johnny Depp was paid, like, the full amount for his role, even though he was... Yeah, that's kind of funny. At the same time, like, given what we know, that it's not all on Johnny Depp, that he was not the sole perpetrator in what appears to be just a toxic relationship, I just don't think it was fair to shaft him and then for Warner Bros. to not really do anything about Amber Heard. But if they do decide to do anything, I was, like, I heard some rumors that maybe, like... This may sound a bit weird, but then again, she has done good work in the past. Uh, Lady Gaga could potentially replace her in Aquaman too, which I would honestly be fine with. What do you think about that? that I'm serious. Sorry, that, that I know, but I feel, that's just kind of fun. Like, I've heard rumors of people like Amelia Clark from um, Game yeah. of Thrones. I've never haven't I haven't heard Lady Gaga because I think. I, the only movie I know her from is uh, Star is Born. Yeah. Well, she was fantastic in that, though. I do have to give her that. She was pretty good. Yeah. I think she was probably potentially the best part of that movie, except maybe the cinematography. Yeah, no, I definitely I agree. Think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Amelia Clark would yeah. be all right, too. Like, she's also a really good actress, and, of course, you know, she is um, she is friends with Jason Momoa from back in the Game of Thrones days, right? So it would be kind of cool to right. see those two yeah. on screen together again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right.
the other piece of news we have is that um, so there's Elliot Page, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty big, to be honest. I think you know, for him to uh, come out like that, you know, even though like you know, given what she well when he was a she in the past, when uh, she identified as a lesbian, uh, she got outed by a director, Brett Ratner, and she kind of had to preemptively come out when she wasn't ready. And I think now that he is able to come out on his own terms is, you know, it's big for him. And I, I applaud yeah. him for that, to be honest. So, yeah. Yeah, I personally believe he's um, a very underrated uh, actor. Back when he was a she, she did a lot of great work on things like Inception. I think she was very good in Juno, I think she gave a very good performance in that. I think I I think she's probably should have had a, a larger career than well he's had up to this point. I hope as uh, as a male now he'll have get some more roles that hopefully will be very good. Yeah, no, I I honestly hope so too. I do agree. He is a very underrated actor, and I hope that I hope that his uh, career can on the upward trend as it's kind of like aside from umbrella academy which i know you love i have not seen it but aside from umbrella academy she hasn't really he sorry he has not been a really big staple in the movie industry that he once was so yeah yeah all right i think we're ready to move on to yep. our main segment so we're going to be talking about mank which is as we said before directed by david fincher and i wanted aiden your quick thoughts on uh some of other, uh david fincher's other movies well i mean for me his best movie is probably the social network like it he goes with uh you know writer aaron sorkin really well in that film i think it because it turns an otherwise boring story which is the you know creation of facebook like who wants to see that but once yeah. you watch it it just immediately brings you in. It's like every scene is enthralling. The dialogue is just a back and forth verbal assault on one and on each character in the scene. I think it's it's just so brilliant. Like, yeah, I've just like the first time I watched it, we were I was in um, careers class and it, it blew me away to the point where I've now seen it about four times and it just keeps on getting better every time I watch it. Did they show it in careers class? Yes, they did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mr. Wish is a cool teacher. We, so, yeah. We watched uh, October Sky. I saw that has, one as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That had Jake Gyllenhaal and Laura Dern. Yeah. But I think Social Network is personally my like seven, second favorite, second or third favorite movie of all time. It's between that and Whiplash. I don't know if you've seen Whiplash. No, I, I really want to see that though. You yeah. need to see Whiplash then. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, my other, f I, I like all of his movies personally. I think I, I've rated them all at least four and a half stars on Letterbox. Um, my other personal favorites, I think Zodiac, I think is one that maybe people don't like as much, but I personally think it's a really good movie. I think it might be even potentially better than seven on, on rewatch. I haven't seen seven again, but I think seven's a very good movie. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I think Zodiac might be even better. No, I agree. Zodiac is a brilliant movie. Just like, just purely from a technical aspect, you know, there are amazing other aspects of it. From but from a technical aspect, it's shot lovely. It's like, and it also blends CGI and like real life really well. Like, I don't know if you know this, but yeah. like that scene where the police are looking at the uh, taxi cab murder victim was purely constructed out of CGI. All the background except for the taxi cab and the pavement are constructed out of CGI, and like 
I think that's incredible because I didn't even know that until like I was yeah. doing a bit of research on the film because it looks so real. Yeah. Yeah, for someone who doesn't is not really into like blockbuster movies, David Fincher's actually done a lot of very good uh, CGI work. He did some in Mank in this movie. I think the animals specifically were the thing type of things that he created through visual effects. But I think the most impressive and most well known thing is when he duplicated Army Hammer for the character of the the Winkle bosses. Yeah, no, that was right? really impressive. Yeah, because. Yeah, he wasn't very well known at the time and people legitimately thought that he had a twin it was insane like yeah 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 i mean i thought they were twins for the longest time it yeah. took me a while to realize oh it's just the same actor just cgi yeah i don't know it's, it yeah. was yeah beautiful work to be honest honestly beautiful yeah yeah the films i still need to see from him are the ones i definitely need to see for sure are uh the girl with the dragon tattoo and uh the curious case of benjamin button yeah i need to see those too i think yeah. they're on my list on netflix at the moment so i, I should check those out yeah. in the meantime but anyways yeah. into mank we probably should get into that because we have a lot to we say should. about that yeah we do yeah <laughs> yeah we do all right all right uh, let's start off with, so I think we discussed this a little bit before, but we talked about how we thought that the first act was probably the best. I think that's where the most witty dialogue comes in. It's, I think, makes the most references that you can actually understand, because a lot of the references this movie does make are a little bit hard to understand, and it, it striked a resemblance to me to, like, a lot of Sorkin-esque dialogue, that kind of verbatim stuff. Uh, dialogue that I love in those movies kind of was happening in the first act and I think I really like that part yeah no no I agree it is very it's very witty it's back it has a great back and forth between each of the characters and I think yeah like it's it very resembles an Aaron Sorkin screenplay yeah I think I I think that was most um, prominent in the scene where in the beginning of the movie when he's visiting the movie set where Marion and uh, William Hurst are. Yeah, it's. Uh, that one. I thought that was really good as well. I also have. Um, uh, uh, oh, sorry. You go ahead, sir. Yeah, no. Yeah, I thought the uh, scene where all the writers were just doing nothing and then created their story, like, like just uh, they were basically just doing a like create a, create the story in front of the producers, like yeah, in, like off. Yeah, total rip off of Frankenstein, kind of by the way. But I mean, like, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was yeah. hilarious, to be honest. Yeah. 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 I also got to say, like, the music, I thought it was pretty good. Like, for those of you who don't know, it was, the score is done by frequent uh, Res, uh, frequent Fincher collaborators, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, which are, those guys are both from the band Nine Inch Nails. And it's not one of their um, typical movie scores with a lot of synth, but this one is more of, uh, like, a very traditional traditional movie score yeah. it has a lot of big band and jazz type beats in it and i think it's yeah it's very fitting for the time period that this film does take place in so yeah yeah i think this one um trent Reznor and atticus ross look to snag uh, potentially two oscar nominations uh for best score for this and for soul i personally think soul has a little more potential because Despite it being a very long score, which usually spells well for uh, best score nomination, I felt like it wasn't too prominent in the movie. Yeah, no, no, I, I definitely agree. I mean, like it, it's it has a few moments where it is quite prominent, like the like you said earlier, those big themes. But I mean, like for the most part, it's kind of understated, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but may not be Oscar material. So, yeah, yeah. 
I also uh, did... other Oscar. Oh, sorry, yeah. you go first. It's okay. Other Oscar, yeah, other potential Oscar material here, I think, would be uh, Gary Oldman, who Definitely. I think gives a very good performance here. Yeah, he's like probably going to be my top pick to win um, Best Actor. I don't, I don't even know who else would have a real shot to be honest. I think like he's really ma- been making kind of a comeback, like or at least recently, like because he had the Darkest Hour, right? And that was kind of yeah his big break after a while of doing like these like um, c- cookie cutter action flicks. And then he had a bit right. of a break between like that movie and this one. I think he's hopefully starting to get back into his like you know incredible form that we saw in other films such as you know of course The Dark Knight and then you have like other films like Leon the Professional and Bram Stoker's Dracula. So yeah, 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 yeah. I personally think um, the t- top two contenders for Best Actor right now, I believe, are Chadwick Boseman and Anthony Hopkins, uh, who are in the father. Um, who are in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and The Father, respectively. Neither of which I've seen. So I definitely would say that Gary Oldman probably... I think I personally like uh, the other f- performance I have seen that I think will also be a nomination that I personally like a little bit better is uh, from Delroy Lindo. But yeah, no, definitely Gary Oldman is a very, very good... Talented actor. Uh, shows, that, sh- shows that he's very talented here. Yeah, he's like... Um, he's a chameleon, like... It's crazy how he can just immerse himself into a role. Like, and I was watching this like talk show segment. He said that because he's a method actor and because he immerses himself so into the role that he's becoming, and of course he does a lot of American roles, he actually had to relearn his uh, English accent because he forgot how to do it for a while, which I thought was kind of interesting. Wow. But yeah, yeah. I think he gives a very honest picture of um, Mank. Herman Mankiewicz, yep. both as in three ways, I think the the story was trying to analyze him as a political critic, artist, and then a person, but showing how he's kind of broken in all th- three ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. No. I agree. He definitely has some problems, like you know, of course, his alcoholism, right? You know, and his um his gambling problem as well. So I mean, like he shows he's not a perfect guy, but he is trying to do the best he can, I guess. So yeah. All right, what else did you notice? I kind of felt like... I, I noticed the costume design and set design. I thought they were really good. I think you had some thoughts about that earlier. What do you what do you personally think about those aspects of the film? Yeah, I thought the costumes were very good. Um, I didn't think they were... They weren't too showy in any point, except maybe the last scene. Yeah. Um, as far as the production design was very good, I definitely believed it was a 1930s uh, movie sets and... Uh, Hollywood. The part I didn't believe as much is that it didn't really feel lived in. It felt like they, it was too definitely clean, right? built. Yeah, yeah. It, in some ways it was a little bit too clean, but that, yeah. that's a minor complaint, frankly, because yeah. I think we need to talk about the cinematography. It, it's some beautiful black and white cinematography. Oh, yeah, I definitely. Think. Yeah. It definitely is one of those films that you can clearly tell it was meant to be black and white, because like, I think, I don't know if you've seen this, but Bong Joon-ho in his uh, Blu-ray release of Parasite released a black and white version you can kind of see how a lot of color films uh even though most people think if you immediately turn something black and white it's immediately more artsy you can kind of see how most color films aren't meant to be that way but you can see just how much care black and white films put into the lighting and though and to ensure that's presented uh just very well and this film definitely did that no no i agree it's like it's visually striking film to be honest like you don't really see a lot of you know black and white films i think it it was kind of like an homage to the world that this movie is set in you know like it's a callback to the um 
to the golden age of cinema in the nineteen late nineteen thirties and the forties and onward, right? So I think that was really good, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, and I even liked how they had like the scene transitions were also very old style. You know, you get like the typewriter yeah. typing up what's happening next, and occasionally you would even have those like um, like typical black and white to like uh, film splotches. I don't know if you noticed those in a area, but it's, like, oh yeah, I I noticed those. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it feels I very authentic to be honest. And, yeah, I yeah. I was immersed in that aspect. So, yeah. Yeah, I personally really liked the uh the typing scenes. It felt it felt meta but also not too meta. Yeah. No, no, like I to agree. have actual <laughs> writing of where the scenes are taking place. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I think most people do believe like so I think what holds this movie back for a lot of people, and I think Aiden, this definitely holds it back for you too, is that it, if you haven't seen Citizen Kane or you don't know a lot about the 30s, there are a lot of things in the dialogue and story that are hard to keep up with. Yeah, and it can okay. kind of make it seem like the movie's and paced really well. And actually, I didn't really know this because, of course, I have not seen Citizen Kane. Like, I guess it's supposed to kind of mirror the elements of that movie. But if you haven't seen Citizen Kane, then... The pacing is going to probably turn you off. It it may make you lose interest in a lot of the scenes, and I think that's probably the main detraction of the film, to be honest. But yeah, I think it was presenting some very interesting ideas, though. Despite some of the messy pacing, I think I think what it executes best, surprisingly enough, is the political commentary there, because it's kind of showing how even though Manx kind of like a more of a socialist, um it showed how he and other among and other people like that are kind of held under the more richer republicans who being the richer people over uh the democrats are able to use their influence and power to like influence the masses and that's how they're able to win elections like that right yeah no it was kind of interesting how they did that especially you know in a time in history when that is kind of how the sitting president at the moment got won his first election. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. Whether that was done intentionally or not is yet to be seen. I think it can be interpreted in a number of ways, but yeah, it definitely shows parallels to that. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of showed his evolution of how he started to care more about his art only because I think he kind of realized that of what he can create when he's focused, right? Yeah. Because it in almost every part of the movie and the story, we kind of see him always being unfocused, drunk or unfocused, or at least drunk or unfocused or just focused on something. Yeah. Or just focused on something else. But when he's given the opportunity to write whatever he wants and he's in a more stable environment, even though he does like, we clearly see him that like clearly see that he fails, but he definitely shows just how much talent he had because when he was able to focus, he created Citizen Kane, which most people consider to be the best movie of all time, right? Yeah. No, no, I definitely agree with that. It was interesting how they did that, so... Yeah. I also, so like... Final... Oh, sorry. No, <laughs> go ahead. I was just gonna say that um, I touched on this, like, uh, the first time we recorded this. I was just saying that uh, even though there are a few F-bombs in the film, I kind of didn't understand the R rating. I mean, like, I guess it doesn't really matter because... Most people our age aren't really going to be checking out a film like this. I don't know yeah. what that really says about like us, but <laughs> and then like I just, or the MPAA, but I just don't understand like why a film like this is rated R. I mean, like the, the content-wise, it's pretty tame. You know, like I said, there are a few yeah. albums, but you know, I just yeah, I kind of felt like that was a pretty dumb thing to happen. So 
Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just how the MPA rate works. I think this would definitely be like a 14A movie. Yeah, it's because our rating system is better. <laughs> yeah, I think our rating system is better in a lot of ways for yeah, sure. Definitely. Um, something that I found funny was like the last. So you know how it ends with uh, kind of the 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 Orson Welles interview yeah and them being pre- well not presented the Oscars because they didn't show up but the the last shot of him with the Oscar just kind of makes it seem like and especially the text at the end because that's something that happens like all three movies like you know how like text at the end is something that's very typical of like true stories and yeah like, just kind of saying what they did later comes on with the Oscar life. things yeah yeah it, it it kind of it's it's come with all three front runners for best picture this year. Yeah. So that being this movie, the trial of Chicago Seven, which has that one where it like freezes in a shot above the courtroom, and then it has um and then Nomadland even has one of those. So yeah, I just, I just kind of found that kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, like I guess it really shows that there are some like incredible true stories out there that people can tell. You know, I mean, like yeah, it's not bad though. I mean, like yeah. No, I'm fine with a good true story, but it was interesting that all three of the front runners have that. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, one thing I noticed, it definitely has um, sing- uh, Fincher's signature style panning, which is kind of uh, following characters as they're moving around, whether they're like going up some stairs or whatever they're doing. And I think that's very well done. It's very clean, as um, it is in almost every single movie that he does. Yeah. But one thing I kind of found as a potential idea because most people believe this movie might potentially be one of his weaker ones. And I just thought, do you think that he would have done this kind of movie if like, do you think with just the script and it not being his father's script, do you think that David Fincher would have done a movie like this still? I mean, like that's definitely an interesting question. I, I honestly don't think so to be honest. Cause if you look at his other filmography, he doesn't really do many period pieces in fact i don't even know if he hasn't done any other period pieces like this to be honest like it kind of feels i I don't want to say this like it's a bad thing but like it's sort of a bit oscar baity to be honest just because like it takes place in the golden era of cinema and like the academy eats that stuff up you know yeah yeah Yeah, this definitely feels like his most oscar bait film which i think kind of makes it his is I think it's part of the reason why it's part of his weakest. Even yeah. though some people believe the weaker parts are that it's really hard to understand it, which could touch like which might detach an Oscar audience. But it also could because you'd have to assume most of the people who are in the Academy have seen Citizen Kane, yeah. right? Which is why I definitely don't think this is out for something for an award like Best Picture. Yeah, no, no, I totally no. agree. I think, yeah, and I guess that's kind of why it makes it Oscar bait because you know if, if they've seen Citizen Kane, yeah. they'll be able to appreciate this movie a little bit more, right? So, yeah, yeah. So I guess it's like Citizen Kane bait. So, but <laughs> yeah. like Citizen Kane bait also kind of translates into Oscar bait, right? Yeah, in some ways, even though Citizen Kane did only one original screenplay. Yeah, no, no, it is interesting yeah. how that works. I guess, yeah. Oof. Yeah. All right. So I, I, I one other question about the film that yeah. I thought. Um, so the, in the end, they kind of talk about how uh, of who was kind of in charge of the Hearst Mank relationship in that and kind of that last scene, whether it was like Mank feeling that Hearst would be bored and uninspired with him around. Or do you think that it kind of says that Mank would always feel obligated to be around him to like have an audience kind of thing? 
Oof. That was a tough question. Like kind of that. Yeah, it was that like story of the organ grinder's monkey kind of idea, right? Yeah. I mean, I honestly never really thought about that. I I don't even know how to answer that to be honest. I think. I mean, I think maybe that guy gave him a little bit more structure in his life because I think without him, he wasn't really doing a whole lot. I don't know, but yeah. That is a tough question to ask. Like, what do you think about that, though? Because, like, yeah, because you clearly have an idea of what you want to say here. So what do you got? Yeah, um, I think that, I think personally that Hearst would be bored and uninspired with him because I think this, the movie shows that there's a free-flowing nature to him. Yeah. And he kind of does as he feels which in a lot of ways is his strength. He says what he does, which keeps him, like, kind of keeps him creatively and mentally free in a lot of ways. But a lot of his mental freedom is being drawn towards frivolous things and damaging things like alcoholism and gambling, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Okay, I see what you mean there. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, you know, honestly, I'm not gonna lie to you, man. That, mo- that part of the movie sort of, like... Uh, I don't know, confused me just a tiny bit. I mean, like, yeah. yeah. I'm glad that you were able to pick in, up on that, though, because pro- otherwise I probably wouldn't have been able to understand it. But, yeah. 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 In the second act, I felt there w- they definitely ramped up the dialogue that I personally didn't even understand as well. Yeah, right? it's a bit weird. It's like, yeah. it's kind of like how our, like, courses are, like, s- structured for school. Like, if you don't, if you're not paying attention for a second, you kind of miss a whole bunch of stuff and you don't get the whole picture. So it's kind of... It's kind of interesting yeah. how they put that, man. Yeah. I think they based a lot of it also on the idea that you would already know a lot of the references that you're giving as well. Yeah. I guess it's like, pe- I guess it's for like people who love film even more than us. I didn't know that was possible, but I mean like, yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. Maybe people. Who I, know, I feel like more. this would be more, I think in general, people just think this movie is not as good. I, th- I like I think it's solid. I think it's right now the weakest David Fincher movie I've seen. Yeah, no, no. But definitely. I've I've basically seen all of his best movies. I'd have to say so far, but yeah. we'll see what happens when I watch the rest of them. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm so probably gonna curious. have to see a bit more, see what I think about this movie. But yeah, at the moment, it it, it is kind of the weakest one I've seen. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just curious, uh, what what did you think of for a score for this movie? Oh well. Glad you asked. I mean, like, I think, I think I'd probably have to give this like, I think a seven out of ten. It's probably appropriate, you know. I think it has like from a technical aspect, it's like near perfection. But I think from like you know the story and like just how everything else is structured, I kind of feel like that's where the film lets down. And you know, like assuming you know all of those other things as well, it's like maybe gonna alienate some of the audience. So definitely a seven out of ten for me. What do you think? Yeah, um, so I like I said, I personally think this is the weakest of his filmography, but I think the rest of his movies are 9 out of 10, so I give oh, easily, it, yeah. an eight, an 8 and a half out of 10. Oh, okay. Yeah. A little bit higher there. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it is a little bit higher. Like I, I just think that the performance are very strong. Yeah. Um, I, I think we for, kind of forgot to talk about Amanda Seyfried, who I think gives a pretty good performance. I don't think she's too standout-ish, which is why I was talking to you earlier about how I don't think she'll end up being a uh, best actress supporting yeah. actress this year no no but, yeah, definitely yeah she, no she definitely gives a very good performance yeah consistent throughout the movie that's not always the case with yeah. know, some actress performances but yeah yeah 
It's definitely consistent performance. So I think we're ready to wrap up. Uh, make sure to go follow Aiden. So GBD reviews on Instagram. Make sure to check out my channel reviewing, which is on YouTube. Yep. We'll be trying to do these uh, bi-weekly. So yeah. uh, make sure to look out for the next one. Uh, Aiden, what, what film do you think we want to do next week? Well, next I time? think this was an easy choice for me. I'm going to be reviewing this film on my own page, of course, at GBD reviews. Best film page on YouTube. I mean, Instagram. God damn it. Um, it's going to be the the uh, upcoming Netflix release, The Prom, which is a musical comedy yeah. drama about a um, LGBTQ relationship that is not allowed to go to prom, which I think is something important for me as someone who is in the community to discuss a film like this. And I don't even normally go for musicals either, but when I saw this trailer about, I think it was like end of October... I knew I had to review this film, and I've had it waiting yeah. in my queue just so I can talk about it. So that's the th that's the film yeah. I'm gonna do. So stay tuned for that, guys. All right. Yeah. 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 I personally love musicals, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, you've been listening to the GBD ing review. Uh, no, not re I don't know what to say anymore. Movie podcast. That's okay. Yeah, and we will probably have a. You've been listening to a movie podcast. Yeah. And, uh, hosted by <laughs> me and Aiden. And I'm Daniel. All yeah. right. Take care, guys. And yeah. Bye.